Welcome to episode 23 of Control-Alt-Revolt, the podcast. I'm Nick Cole. And I'm Single White Medusa. Yeah, and we're just back from a Thai massage and a real quick spree to Vegas and back. We're ruined, but we're feeling good, and it's sunny in Southern California. We're ruined, but we're feeling good. <laughs> we're ruined, but we're feeling good. I don't know, like driving to Vegas and back in one Ooh. day is kind of kind of like a brutal proposition you shouldn't do those things yeah we were exhausted i guess though because of the thai massage that's the like feeling good part now yeah that's the feeling good we got yeah. the full thai massage work over the stretching the slapping the oils the kneading <laughs> the snoring not me this time usually usually single white medusa falls asleep during the couple's time massage just for a moment and then i wake myself up yeah but today it was me i I drifted like while and it was while she was slapping me around and i kind of went into this other place where i was like pretty happy being slapped around (laughs) and that's when i think i snored it's weird i'm tired though you are tired yeah uh you can hear it in my voice yeah we got to get you some rest. But that was part of that was going to loser Las Vegas and having to like first off go into the state line casino for a quick pit stop and just seeing the utter end of the world that that place is. That is so depressing. Like if you ever <laughs> so sad. If you ever feel like life hasn't worked out for you and maybe you made some bad choices, just drive on out to state line. And go into uh, Whiskey Pete's, or what's the other place called? I don't know, actually. It's the one uh, we've been in. I'm not sure. And and just go and go... Yeah, Prims. Prims, Nevada. And go in and just see what what it's like if... Either A, you can't make it all the way to Las Vegas from California, and so you've got to stop there and start gambling. Or B, you lost so hardcore in Vegas... And you are now fleeing west uh, with fear and loathing hounding your your heart and a hangover and, you know, and the fact that you probably mortgaged the house, got a second from the the cashier, you know, on the house, got a line of credit you can't afford, maxed the credit cards, you know, did some stuff that you were ashamed of, um, but maybe you can turn it all around at state line. I'm going to guess no. I'm going to bet no on that. (laughs) State line is like what sort of like 90s hipster independent film Quentin Tarantino's would have made like a crime kind of heist sort of very talky Pulp Fiction-esque movie in State Line and kind of glamoured it up. And then all the hipsters would have gone to State Line looking for that experience but no one ever made that movie, and so it just stayed Loserville. And they wouldn't have found that experience anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I guess you could. what you could do, like, if you had a time machine, is you could go to the people that own Stateline and say, like, I can put Stateline on the map by making an indie film. Indie road trip film starring, like, young, undiscovered Brad Pitt. Young, undiscovered David Duchovny. Well, now I'm just describing the movie California. <laughs> but... Maybe maybe they were, like, so the opposite of a buddy comedy in California. Because in California, David Duchovny is a um, guy who owes a book on serial killers, and he accidentally shares a road trip car with an actual serial killer named uh, Early Grace, who is played by Brad Pitt. It's one of Brad Pitt's actually best roles, and I think that film is completely memory-hold because it should have 
for all intents and purposes, ruin have ruined Brad Pitt's career um, because he was so good at being so awful. And a lot of times you don't, you know, when you're a leading actor and everything like that, you don't necessarily want to have that kind of role. Like Leonardo DiCaprio originally had purchased the rights to American Psycho, but his handlers said, if you do that, your career's over. Now, Christian Bale did it, but, you know, the argument could be Christian Bale's a bit of a darker actor. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, they were kind of grooming him to get ready for Titanic, where every teenage girl in the world would fall in love with him, as opposed to American Psycho, where he would murder and strangle hookers. Exactly. So. Probably a good call. Yeah. Yeah. So you can tell, Vegas has totally ruined me. I've... I've switched over to politics, from politics to to uh, time travel, road trips that pictures that never were. But let's just say you could get uh, Brad Pitt and David Duchovny to sort of darkly reprise their roles, then you could make a movie called State Line, and and that would be and and it would have put it on the map, and then all the losers from L.A. would have gone out there, and it would have been sort of the Vince Vaughn hipster, hipster scene. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of place where you'd have run into Jerry O'Connell, drunk off his butt, uh, partying, and you're like, you're not the Jerry O'Connell of Sliders, you're the Jerry O'Connell of Tomcats. That actually happened to me one time. Um, But that's a story for another day. So what we learned from Las Vegas is they're really training people to be sort of migrant nomad hordes. I think if you look at the movie Nomadland where they're kind of trying to upsell the idea of van life to people. Like, hey, quit your job. But they, they, they frame it under this this way. Like, someone you love died of cancer, and now the factory town is all gone. So live in a van and discover the truths and beauty of life looking at junk and rock and, you know, rocks and, and uh, pooping in a bucket and... Um, and working for Amazon. I'm not kidding. That's the movie, right? I'm not lying yeah. about that, right? That's that's <laughs> Nomadland. That was it. So what I think, though, is that Vegas is sort of the early training ground for that, where they teach you to put on a backpack, and they've got it all on walkways, and you just migrate from free attraction to a free attraction in Vegas. Because, like, even though Vegas is all about money in a certain way, and you're there, they're there to make money, and they're going to fleece you in the tables... What I think is a lot of people don't actually heavily gamble. What they do is they just walk from casino casino to casino casino, from casino to casino, mm-hmm. just sort of being enthralled by you know this spectacle or that show or other people or lewd and lascivious living. And, and so what I think they're trying to do is to train people to be these migrant hordes that they really want to develop in sort of the nomad land thing and what... What their, what their end game for that is, is, you know, you come home, you sell your house, um, because there are, there are all these articles now after the topic that we talked about yesterday about BlackRock going in and buying up large sections of, of housing over market and then turning everything into an SBR, single family, SFR, single family renters. I think Vegas is the training ground for that, where... You really do live your best Instagram life, walking around with a giant obscene drink and a backpack and migrating up and down the Strip of Vegas, just, you know, seeing all these things and, and you know, blowing your expendable cash, all on the promise that you might win, that you might get life-changing money. Mm-hmm. You probably won't, 
but they are promising that. That's what Vegas does. Then there's all this spectacle and this DJ you've never heard of. And, oh, Sting is playing a residency. You know, it's really, it's really like advertised to get you to migrate. Then you go home and you look at your house and your plumbing breaks and your lawn needs to be weeded and the neighbors are a hassle. And uh, you think, you know, we could just nomad. We could work at the Amazon facilities for the holidays and save our cash. We could go live in the desert and we could become wise with some Indian shaman. And uh, then we could go to Vegas and maybe we'll get rich. Maybe we'll get rich. But I do think it's all kind of a training ground to get you to give up owning possessions. And and that not that like the epitome of Vegas? Give up owning your possessions because we're going to take them from you at yeah. the table? So big con, big conspiracy. Huge, yeah. Huge. They what, can help you do that really What was your quickly. takeaway from the awfulness of Vegas? Also, everybody's dirty. Everybody's dirty. And they may or may not be dirty, but they look dirty. Um, yeah, for sure. I don't know. My takeaway was the same as it always is, I guess. Like, I always think that it looks nice on the outside because they make the casinos, even that state line, like, they're cute on the outside, but then they're really depressing on the inside. But maybe some people like, I don't, I I don't like the atmosphere of, like, slot machines and stuff. Right. It it seems, like, chintzy and weird to me, but, like, I know that for some people that does feel, like, exciting and glamorous or something. So it probably know, messes with thing. your spectrum too. Yeah, I mean it's you know, a lot going on. And, and, like that. and I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I just think in like statistics too much. Um, yeah. Spectrum and <laughs> and like it just gambling doesn't make sense to me because I'm like, I just know like the odds and I'm like, nah, it's dumb. Um, I don't know. So just the same as always, but I was glad that we didn't have to actually be in that casino atmosphere too much. Right. Um just like that pit stop in state line other than that we didn't actually have to walk no. through like actual casino part of the casinos right. we were sort of in the i don't know like the convention center hallway part you know right. or whatever or the aquarium but so. still we had to be near it we had to be near the hoy and the ploy <laughs> it was short and not super sweet but you know it was nice to at state line you see the old lady with a walker and an oxygen tank gambling yeah, that's really. And that's that's really when you sad. like that's when you know like people have made choices. Choices were made. And they're still making them. And they're right still making those choices. Like yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. It's it it is utterly depressing. And and then you go and you kind of see w- the spectacle that's being offered at Vegas. And I mean, there's some downright absolutely raunchy things. There, I mean, all all like all the choices in Vegas are life destructive. As in, like, come to this pool where we naked bathe. Whoa. Yeah. You didn't see that one? Yeah, I saw that. The advertisement for that one. (laughs) No. It was called called Bear, No Strings Attached to Get Rid of the Tan Lines. And it was like a big hotel pool where where it's all naked. Whoa. You know, because that's the new debauchery. Wow. And and then you see, you know, the obvious, you know, hooker and sex stuff and the sex museum and, you know, and and, and some fairly obscene things along that. And you're like, Mm -hmm. really? Is that in the open? And, um, and then you see, then you see, you know, all the drugs, the can- the hemp, the cannabis, and, and there are more homeless people now, and there are more shady hoodie thug people, and everything's covered in smoke, and, and I just, I always, like, think, like, everybody in the movie has sold the sort of Rat Pack Vegas George Clooney Brad Pitt experience, and a lot of the advertising is, you know, four glamorous girls who are besties, 
on a on a on a weekend, you know, of spas and gambling and possible romance, you know, and and it's none of those things. No. You know, it's down at eye level, it's it's the it's the it's the end of the world. Down at eye level, the Chinese win. Down at eye level, the Democrats are the smartest people in the in the universe because they realize these are the voters and they're stupid. Wow. And, and it's like down at eye level, like that's that's something I discovered at Disneyland a long time ago. Everything at Disneyland is built eye level and up. And um, if you, it's done because they don't want you to look around at the people you're with, because that's kind of depressing in a certain way. You see some things you shouldn't be seeing. Um, you see some tragedy. You, you you're not focused on the attraction. You're you're focused on the, the the present, and Disneyland wants to take you into the past or the future, whatever. But they want to take you into a fantasy that no longer exists. And Vegas, uh, yeah, I think I would say a lot of stuff is eye level and up, but it's all it's it's so hard to overcome. I think a storyteller, you know, anthropologist like we are, that desire to kind of look at the people around you more than the attraction. Like at points, I had to point things out to you because I think you were too busy looking at people. You're like, look at this weirdo. And <laughs> there were some who, characters. Who would wear that, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, the one that I remember the most was the girl, kind of youngish girl, big old pregnant belly, and yeah. she was wearing the smallest amount of clothes that I've ever seen yeah. a pregnant person wear. And she was like a tiny girl. I mean... I guess it was fine, but it was just unusual. I mean, she was wearing almost basically a bikini. Yeah. Maybe like kind of boy short yeah. bikini. And it yeah, wasn't, it was, it was like, it, was like, it was, it, it's weird about Vegas. It was in the nineties, but it doesn't feel in the nineties. Yeah. It's a dry heat. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, it's, don't go to Vegas, go somewhere else with your life. This podcast isn't all, you know, us doing politics and screaming about the Fauci who seems in a lot of trouble. Um, you can tell he's in trouble now cause he's going on the news telling everybody that he's just doing the science. I think basically yesterday he screamed, I am the science, you know? And so, you know, like when you're, when you're calling in all your media interview favors to tell people that, that you're right, um, you're probably in big trouble. Uh, people who are innocent don't need to scream. They're innocent. They're just innocent. Exactly. Yeah. So then you finally flee Vegas and you get out on the road and you head, you know, west with the night. And that's always kind of a somber time, you know, because, like, you follow the sunset for a long time. And, and the sunlight really hangs out out there, but it hangs out below the mountains. And so there's just, like, that's actually when the desert's really beautiful, when the mountains have kind of turned blue. and But, like, it's it's such a wasteland. It's such a, like, it's such vast, empty spaces. It looks like the bottom of an ocean without any water. Then you pass, like, these kind of weird, like, power facilities that are building out there, like, that look like something out of the Nightmare in the Matrix, you know, with, like, robots harvesting things and, you know, camps, and you think, like, you wonder if, like, they're bearing pods out there with living people to suck the energy and dreams out of them, and it's just very kind of an Orwellian desert, it really is, and the roads are so, like, Nevada has great roads, great big, huge super highways and then you get to california and like which is supposedly the greatest state you know in the world and uh the roads suck and they're two lanes and you're knifing and gunning traffic and you work your way into barstow which is like terrible 
You don't. <laughs> Sorry, Barstow, but Barstow's a bad place. And uh, San Bernardino, and and then Barstow, and uh, and then you get up to the El Cajon Pass, and and that's like when you're finally gonna get you know to the beach cities, and that's when the traffic kind of really picks up, and everybody's going to either. Orange County, Riverside, or Los Angeles. I always think about that a lot because in one of the books that I wrote, uh, Fight the Rooster, there's a scene set at the El Cajon Pass with an actor and late night gambling and then, you know, having to go into LA. And I always, I always think, cause like that's when you kind of get on back onto the freeways and you can really open it up. And, you know, by that time of the night, you're just crying to get home. So you just, you know, you're just flooring it all the way through Riverside and, down the 91 and then you make the toll road and then you can start to smell the ocean and you know you're home and it's misty and the night is nice and then you get home and it's quiet and it's the opposite of Vegas and the neighborhood is all asleep and the night is beautiful and you're like why in the hell would I ever go to Vegas again exactly I don't think we will unless we have to um which I only go to Vegas if I have to yeah and there's a writer's uh convention and they all want me to go. Like, they've had, the people who run it, you know, they want me to come. And the deal makers want me to come there. Because I'm such a big deal. Which I'm not, you know, but I'm kind of a player. You know, whatever that is. And, and I hate it there, you know. And so, like, I hate it especially with them. And I hate them especially. So <laughs> not all of them. Well, the writers I know are cool. Yeah. Like, if you're in my feed and I know you, you're cool. You're a cool person. So disregard the rest of this. But I hate all the other writers because they're all jerks. They really are. Like, they would, they hate you. So, you know, it's not wrong to hate them because they hate your guts. Um, Because writers are horrible, jealous uh, people, you know, that are very narcissistic and also insecure. It's a really great combination. Imagine a beautiful supermodel with a raging drug habit, and that's basically the temperament of a writer. And um, and you kind of have to be that way, you know, just not to give them to cut them a break. You kind of have to be that way as a writer because you got to write about some some bad stuff, and you got to write about the dark part of humanity and emotions. And it doesn't mean that you're always Johnny or Jenny Sunshine. So I, I cut him a break there, but I've had a lot of bad experience with writers. I found them to love to gossip and be in a mob and give other writers a bad time and blacklist people. That's happened to me a lot. So when they ask me to get together with them and hang out with them, I really don't want to. I don't like them. But it's more of a business decision because I don't I I don't sell any books to other writers. And I try to tell writers this all the time like you guys just want to get together and, and writers are always looking to stroke their ego. Um, and, and, and like they, 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 like their dream is to go to a convention and have all the convention people line up and like sign their books. And then like, you know, the, the high school cheerleader rolls in and cause what would she be doing at a science fiction convention? She's probably married to some like finance banker on wall street. And, uh, but you know, she, in their fantasy, she appears at the uh, the convention, and she's like, "Oh, I never knew that you were so, you were such a stud at writing, and such a adventurous, great person." They all do that. They they want the ego strokes. I mean, I, I mean, if they tell you they don't, they're lying to you. Um, so you don't get to go to conventions a lot, and I've been to conventions as a, as a as an invited writer, and if you're not like 
Stephen King or Anne Rice or like some chick in YA, no one's showing up to get your book signed. No one. Uh, like I was in a convention even one time with Andy Weir. I've been to two conventions uh, on two panels with Andy Weir. And like he didn't even get that many people asking to sign his book. Mm-hmm. And he's a big deal. You know, so, but all these writers have this fantasy that, you know, that people are going to come and say, I just read your book and it changed my life and you're the font of wisdom. I I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm getting all that wrong. I don't know. Maybe if there's a writer that listens to this, they can explain it to me. Um, I dislike people who like me because I know me. Well, you dislike me? Yeah, I told you that today. What? I said, I said to you, you said something like, oh, the picture. Uh, there was a picture of me that I don't think is flattering. And you said, oh, I think that's a beautiful picture. And I said, I think less of you for thinking that. You also got mad at me at first because you thought I took it. And I'm like, I'm not even the one that took that. Oh, man, was I livid. I was steaming all morning. I was was like... Okay, it's not that I'm not grateful. uh, Yeah, and I I was like praying about it. I I was like, oh, Lord, please. She does so much for me, and she goes with me, and she helps me. Help me just to let this one go, and I couldn't. No, I'm glad I you I could it up. not let it go because it was such an awful picture. That's why communication is good because you would have been mad at me and like let that fester, and like it wasn't even true. Like wasn't even true. Whatever you thought, it wasn't even the truth. Because I'm like, I didn't even take that. I didn't take any of you. I just. I know, but yeah. I thought you did, <laughs> and I was, I was like, we've had this discussion before. You you got to frame the picture here. Like, don't do it. this. I don't. This is not my good angle. You're gonna make me look bald here. But it wasn't you. It was it someone else. Me. But then you said, "Oh, I, I think that's a beautiful picture." I'm like, "I think less of you." Well, you think I look beautiful in pictures that I hate of myself, and but you know what? I don't think less of you. You. I've never seen you take a bad oh, picture. Man, I I've never seen me take a good picture. <laughs> I was just trying to tell you, everybody is their worst critic. Everybody hates most pictures of themselves. So anyways, as you can tell, meeting people who like my writing doesn't do anything for me. Um, I just like to do something for them, like as in like, I like to make them feel good. So I have this policy, it's called readers over writers. So I don't ever hang out with writers because no good comes of that. You'll just get in trouble. Um, They'll hate your guts and form a mob and want to kill you and and they can't, so I would end up killing them. Um, They also just don't buy books, so there's no reason to hang out with them. And I'm not gonna learn anything from them because they're either better than me or I'm better than them. And that doesn't mean anything. I just write the way that I write. I'm not gonna learn anything from them. Like I said, the writers I know, absolutely cool people. They're really great, I love them. But about a year ago, I 86'd all the writers that were jerks in my feed that like when you first become a writer on social media you get to know a bunch of other writers and you form a click and then and then just all kinds of nastiness comes out of that so i was kind of done with that and they're the first ones to tell you that they don't like your political opinions so obviously that's not good for me (laughs) so i got rid of all of them and um whenever a writer friends me uh you know like i heard you on this podcast talking about how to be a great writer you know, and I just don't, I just don't accept the friendship because it's just no good. Scott. Like if you friend me and you're like best-selling author of the Dragon Duke series, you know, I'm probably not going to accept it. No, nothing personal. I just don't like writers. And, um, and I am filled with self-loathing. So that makes sense. I don't like me. So, 
so um, I like readers though. I like doing everything for readers. I like hanging out with readers. Uh, Single White Medusa knows this. If you come to town, I will hang out with you. I'll sometimes take you to dinner and I'll actually pay. Like, you know, I, 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 my policy is readers over writers because readers, you know, I have a relationship with and they buy my books and that's why I do this. Um, so there's a big convention in Vegas and they've invited me and I don't want to go. So I don't go. And there are business deals to be made, but I have enough business deals. Yeah, you have kind of more than you have the time for even. As you say, you wish you could have like a pocket universe where you could stop time and go in and write a bunch of the things you want to write. Yeah, and then just pop out and like, hey, here's my sixth, you know, book series on, you know, Kevin Peaty. Kevin Peaty. What is he? Coin detective. Oh, okay. He's a detective, and he, he like it's a cozy. It's a coin cozy. Oh. It's a numismatic cozy. I don't know, like, but Num- if I had a positive, <laughs> that's the collecting of coins is new num- numismatics or oh, that's okay. stamps or. Okay. So I would do those things, you know, but I don't have a pocket universe. I have limited time. I hate Vegas. Oh, so at this casino, they they keep telling me like we have a different casino now. You have to come, because I was very vocal about the last casino. <laughs> it was. It was. And bad. it's called it's called Sam's Town. And it's the end of the world. It's the absolute ass end of the world. It's not even in Vegas. It's in Searchlight, which is like the like whatever the like I don't even I think it's south, but it's a you know like just wherever the worst part of town is, that's where that place is. And it's the most depressing place. And they don't even try to hide it. They they put up art to make you more depressed. And like at the back of the casino where the convention was being held. There's a picture of a grandpa fanning 50s, you know, in se- in like the senior village gambling area. You know, it was called like golden memories, golden memories of your money. And uh, and, and just like when I, I was going up the escalator and I saw that and I pointed to Nicole and I was like, I really should just leave here now and go hug my mom. I shouldn't be in this place. And then what about the the kind of atrium area which actually at first I kind of liked because it was nicer than the rest of the casino right because it it was sort of like an indoor place that was made to seem kind of outdoors right Right. like with a lot of plants and stuff um but then (laughs) (laughs) so then so they have this yeah that's everything that single white medusa has described is true and then the, the atrium puts on a show for you. <laughs> and so if you've ever been to like Bear Country Jamboree in Disneyland, it's like that, but worse. It's like that if it were made by a Russian guy with <laughs> like one, one eighty-fifth of the budget <laughs> in non-adjusted dollars, in non-adjusted <laughs> 1965 dollars. So like, so like literally they do this like hats off to Native America and like there's an eagle and there's a bear and there's a mountain cat and so like the bear kind of raises one paw and and the mountain lion turns his head a little bit and the eagle's wings open and he goes ah you know like and but there's like it's there's like there's lights and fountains and and that's kind of okay and the music is a little cheesy but it's stirring mm-hmm. but here's where you realize that you should not be in Vegas if you're any kind of human being so like a typical writer I'm observing the people observing. And and the atrium, the hotel rooms line the atrium. And so way up there, 
I see this little boy in PJs, face pressed up against the window, watching this. And I'm thinking, mom and dad are down in the casino gambling, and this kid is sitting in the room watching this discount Bear Country Jamboree. And that's when I was like, I hate, I hate humanity. My favorite part is when I pointed out to you (laughs) how you could see the sad little ghetto blaster that the music was coming from, kind of hiding behind a a fake rock. (laughs) A fake rock. That's, that's my memory. That's when it. you know, Elon Musk, we're not going to Mars. That's not, <laughs> that's not happening. This is, this is as good as we're capable of. <laughs> so that's the podcast today. It's a little bit of a different take. Uh, we do do the politics stuff. We do do the writing stuff. We do do the fun stuff, but sometimes we just riff on absolutely how awful everything is. Um, if you dug that, if that's your jam, if you're that kind of dark individual, well, why don't you just go ahead and put your worst Vegas story in the comments, and uh, you know, or just worst possible story about humanity? I don't know. Feels like one of those days. We will be back tomorrow with more uplifting tales uh, of how hopefully Fauci is going to be perp walked, or yeah, maybe Hillary Clinton's jet will explode in a ball of flames. Woo! Uh, maybe. Kamala and Biden somehow take each other out. I don't know. It's looking bad. <laughs> Cats living with dogs. Our pets' heads are falling Our off. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> That's the podcast. <laughs>